You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. The teacher in me just cannot help but ask people about their homework assignment. And so I am going to, I want to do it this morning. I told you guys I probably would. All right. I want to see a, a hand. I'm going, to, I'm going to have a little bit of grace here. I want to see a show of hands for everyone that's read at least through Matthew chapter 13. Can I see how many people are out there that are with us with the reading plan? Wow, that is awesome. Guys, keep it up. Please continue to do this. We have uh, finished through Matthew 1 through 15 so far in our reading plan. And if you're new with us this morning, this was not for you, but, but please know that we love for you to join us. Um, we are reading through the New Testament this year. And it's five days a week, one chapter a day. We'll get us through the entire New Testament. We're starting with the book of Matthew. We have little bookmarks that you can follow along with at the connections table if you want to grab one of those. We also have a way to sign up and to receive daily reminders. And so we are committed to reading through the New Testament together as a church family, and we're excited about it. And so thinking about the first 15 chapters, I, I just, I can't help myself. Like when I see a chapter that's like difficult or complex, I'm like, I want to teach that. I, I just, I want to be able to make complex things simple. That's what teachers are wired to do. And so I am going to tackle Matthew chapter 10 this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 10. You can also click there on your phone or there's uh, uh, pew Bibles there. Just grab one of those. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. So this is the chapter where Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples. And it's fascinating how he sends them out because they're not allowed to go with a change of clothing. They're not allowed to have any food with them. No money. Two by two, so they, you have that protection, you have that friendship, you have that accountability. But two by two, sent out to these cities to preach the gospel, and they don't have hotel reservations. They ha- don't know where their next meal is coming from, and they have no money with them and no change of clothes. I don't know about you, but that would stress me out. Like when I go camping, I go for one night. It is an overnight. I go in. Usually my campsite is within walking distance of the car so I can wheel the cooler. All right. I like, I am not roughing it. I want to know that there's a bathroom somewhere nearby just in case I have emergency. And so it's just like to think, and I'm also, I'm not good going without a meal. Two meals, I'm getting lightheaded. And I'm like, I just want to die. All right. And so to think that I'm just trusting God for every single meal, every single location, and even, even worse for me, relying on the kindness of strangers. Ugh, like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to be completely self-sufficient. I want to rely on other people. And so, but, but this is what Jesus wants his disciples to do. He wants them to be completely reliant on the Holy Spirit for the next meal, for the next place where they lay their head, for who they should talk to, how they should talk to that person. He also wants them to get in with the community and rely on the kindest community and give the chance for that community to be blessed by God because they're helping righteous men. And so all of this makes sense, but it's hard. 
And so they're going into these cities, they're teaching the gospel, and he's giving them very powerful advice, but also words of warning that is frightening, to be perfectly honest. And so we're going to take up with a reading with verse 21. And he's talking, already talking to them, hey, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be arrested, but don't worry, I'll give you the words to say. But then he takes it a step further, and this is what he says. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes." Now, many scholars debate that last line where he, he says, you, truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Everything about his language is very prophetic. And he's talking about, it, it almost sounds like he's talking about end times or really, really rough times. Certainly times past his death and resurrection because we don't see this level of persecution beforehand. Like, obviously, the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, but they, the, the disciples, I mean, the people are loving what's going on right now. So he's talking about this future moment. And there's a lot of debate about what he means in this last part. And um, one theory is that there is, like, this is an end times prophecy. Like, this is talking about when the Son of Man, when the Messiah, when the Son of God comes back at the end times and sets all things right. But there's a problem with that because it says that they won't go through all the towns of Judea before he comes back. And surely the disciples got through the towns of Judea over the last 2000 years, right? Like they, they surely they did that even during their lifetimes. They went far and wide before they, they passed away. And so I, I kind of write that one off, even though some hold to that because it feels so prophetic. Another theory is that he is talking about the 70 AD destruction of the temple. And so there is an eschatological view, and that's just a fancy word for end times view, that, is, that says that Jesus came back and held judgment and served judgment out for Israel at the destruction of the temple at 70 AD. I mean, Jerusalem was just utterly destroyed. And Jesus does prophesy that destruction later on in Matthew. And so they're like, well, he's talking about that. They won't, go, they won't get around to all the towns before Jesus comes back. But that view is a viewpoint that views all of Revelation as having already happened. It's not a, it's not a futuristic, doesn't treat Revelation as futuristic. And I got to tell you, when I read Revelation and a lot of the prophecies that even Jesus told himself, there's a lot still unfulfilled. There's a lot still coming. And so I, I don't hold to that view either. One simple explanation for this could be that he's just simply referring to him as a title. He's just using that title, not in a very prophetic way, but he's like, when I come back, all right, when I come back to gather you, I'll gather you before you all get to all the towns. So you go to the towns, but I'm gonna come back and gather you before that. All right, that's a possibility. I could get behind that, but I don't like that one either, okay? And so I want to tell you what I think is going on here. That, that title, Son of Man, is significant and weighty. It is a reference to Daniel chapter seven. 
And in that chapter, it's, it's very messianic. It's very clear that the son of God is gonna come in glory, sitting at the right hand of the father. And this is the title that got Jesus in so much trouble in the Sanhedrin right before he was killed, all right? Because they ask him point blank, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? And he's like, you say it. And then he says, and you will see the son of man coming down in the clouds of glory. And they're like tearing out their hair and pulling out their clothes. And they just, they want to kill him right away because they know what this title means. And I do think he mean it, he's meaning it in a prophetic sense. But what I think he is saying is I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send my disciples out. Later on, he's going to send 72 disciples out. And he's like, but before we get to all the towns in this region, the son of man is going to reveal himself. And what he's revealing, I think he's referring to his transfiguration. I think he's referring to his arrival into Jerusalem, all right? And he reveals himself as the the son of man and the son of God by dying on the cross and then coming back to life. And so he's, I think he's prophetically just talking about that. But a lot of confusion, Uh, that that was all for free, all right? That's not really the main idea of this. This, The the topic today that I'm talking about, the title of this message is, Are We Worthy? Are We Worthy? And... If we're talking about, are we worthy of an almighty, holy God? Do we deserve to be with him for all eternity? I mean, all of us would just be like, of course not. We're sinful, we're broken. We are not worthy of an almighty, holy God. But on the other hand, Jesus died for us. He paid for our sins. God loves us so much that he paved a way that we can be reunited, and we could become sons and daughters of this most high God. So because he adopted us once we put our faith in him, then we are worthy. As sons and daughters, we're worthy. We're worthy forever, all right? So on that level, we are worthy. But the focus that I want to look at this morning is is not that. It's specifically, are we worthy to be one of his disciples? Are we worthy to be one of his disciples? Because that is the question that he is addressing in this passage. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So this is a direct reference to just a couple chapters earlier. The, the religious leaders told, said Jesus was Beelzebub, the, the, the leader of demons, the leader of evil spirits. And they were explaining that is how he is casting out these demons because he's their leader. He's like, how much more so will you be called things when the, your leader, the one you're trying to be like, is called Beelzebub. So just expect persecution. But I go back to the verse 24 and 25, and I find this is fascinating. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. That is not the American mindset. Like in, we constantly want to get ahead. Like when we go to school, we're not thinking, I want to be just like this professor. Like maybe at some level, but we're also thinking about leaving that and going beyond that. And when we're working for someone, all right, and we have a boss, in the back of our mind, we're thinking, one day, I want to be the boss, right? I want to be the leader. And, and this, this goes in every environment. Like we are ambitious. We are individualistic. I mean, I am 
very guilty of this. Like my mindset growing up just always wanted to be the best. I was, I'm just, I used to be hyper, hyper competitive. Now those that know me go, "Mm, has that changed, Jason? Like um, those that know me, I I get it. I do, I do have a problem still to this day. Um, We, I don't know if you know this, but we have a poker league, a men's poker league that we have here at the, at the church. And um, yeah, it actually, the, the, the first event of the year is this Friday. So guys, you're, you're welcome all, anyone from the community to come to this. But we launch this new every year. We never exchange money. It's nothing about that. But we take it very seriously. We have a whole leaderboard. Like we keep track of the points for the, the year. Like you, every person you outlast is an additional point that you earn. And so we, we're like competing each other all year. We're talking junk. It, it's, just, it's just fun for me. I love this stuff. But so this past year, we uh, decided to make a, like a trophy that had the names of all the champions for the regular season and the tournament champion for the last 10 years. We've been doing this for a long time, all right? And so we had a trophy made out. And so I'm going back and forth with this guy on on email to kind of get the names right and engraving and all that kind of stuff. He's like, are are you a pastor for this church? I was like, yeah, yeah, I am a a pastor of this church. He's he's like, your name is on here a lot. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. All right. And so the, and the, the names that are on it the most are me and Dean. All right. And so like there's something, there's something wrong with the spirit of the church maybe, but, but we're doing the best we can. So I still have a problem, but it is way less than it used to be. All right. I used to just be psychotic about just trying to be the best, like in everything. And so I had students that would talk junk to me and then I would, I would have to beat them at whatever they wanted me to beat them in. I had one that would just constantly say, he thought he was gonna be in the NBA. And I was like, kid, like there, there's just no chance. You know how you just see, look at somebody and be like, no, you're not NBA material. Like he just wasn't. He just, he was like, he was not very coordinator. He, he was never very tall. And he was just like, I'm, I wanna go in the NBA and I could beat you, Mr. Thompson. And it's like, okay, well, let's go out to the playground. Let's see this. And so I smoke him. It was not close, all right? And, and he, he's like, but he couldn't let it go. He just could not let it go. He's like, well, these rims are double rims and they're, they're hard and they bounce off. I, I could beat you if I, we played on my home court. It's like, all right, let's go to your home court. And so like that week, I show up on a Saturday morning. Like he's, he's got like a portable rim out back. It's not like only nine and a half feet tall. It's, it's on like dirt. And I was like, I show up and his mom and his brother is like, who is, well, who is this guy that's just showing up to play basketball? I play one-on-one. 21 to one. Like I didn't even show him mercy. I like I don't have like one point. I just, I just smoked him. Like, and that was my mindset. And I'm like pulling back and I'm thinking, all right, did I go over there for the community's sake? All right. Did I go over there for this kid? Cause I want to teach him a valuable life lesson. Did I go over there for Jesus? No, I, 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 cause I just, I like being the best and I like, I, that's just the way I was wired. And that is just our mindset. And so the first question, I don't, I don't have any points this morning. I just have three questions for self-reflection. And the first one is this, who do we work for? Who do we work for? Who do we live for? Who are we doing the things that we do for? Now, all of us would be like, I'm doing it for Jesus, right? But is that true? Do you get up in the morning? Do you go to work and you just do all things for the glory of God? I hope so, but that's hard. A lot of times we do it for our spouse. 
We live for them, like everything we do, like make them happy. Or we're, our kids, we're just so invested in our kids. That's all we think, think about our kids and their well-being. Or we're doing it for the career. And we want to get to a certain status level. But, but primarily, we're doing it for ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is, the student is not above the teacher. Nor is the servant above the master. And in the rabbi tradition of just the Jewish culture, they weren't trying to surpass their rabbi. The greatest compliment was to say that someone was like, they were just like their rabbi. They followed them night and day to be like this. And, and, and how successful they were, were how true they stayed to that line of thinking. So it's a very different mindset than we have today. But that is the mindset that, of a disciple, that we are supposed to be, not, not try to be above not try to bring glory to ourselves, but we're supposed to be honor and glory to the teacher. And in Jesus, we have the greatest of all teachers, the greatest of all masters. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. There is nothing that has been made that wasn't made through him. There is no way to get above this teacher or this master. And so he's like, I want disciples who have a mindset that, I, that want to be like me. They're not going to go in their own way. They're not going to get their own cult following. They're not going to bring honor and glory to themselves, but they are living and serving for me. And then once they do that, then I will turn around and I will bring honor and glory to them. But they need to trust me with that. And so this is what he's telling to them. And then he's, he challenges them further. Verse 26 so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Whew, that is scary. Just think about all the secrets we hold, all the th dark places that we hide them. There is nothing that will not be revealed. There is nothing that won't, be, that won't come to light. On judgment day, everything will be revealed. And there, it will be revealed in many times before then. It's going to come to the light. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaimed from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he's telling them, right now, we're meeting, we're gathering, we're learning together, and I am whispering things in the dark around a campfire. I am speaking to thing, things into your ear. You are my disciples. I want you to go out, and I want you to proclaim these things from the rooftop. Don't be scared. Don't be shy. Don't worry about what other people think. Be bold. Why? Why would you care? about what people think that cannot harm you eternally. Especially when you are bringing the good news of the gospel that can change their eternity. He's saying, worry more about the person who could destroy both body and soul. But then he, he gives them this encouragement. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We do not serve a God that is detached or disinterested or uncaring. He cares so much that every hair is numbered on your head. Think about that. 1,142,346 just fell down to the ground. He knows. He says, these sparrows, which are not, a thousand sparrows are nothing compared to my love for you or my care and concern for you, but I am aware of the sparrow. I care what happens to the sparrow. How much more so do I care for you? So the things I'm allowing to happen to you, they're, they're, they're not in a box. It's not in the dark. I know. I have a plan. I have a plan to redeem all that. Trust me. With my help, you can handle this trial. You can handle this persecution. You can handle this hardship. Don't worry about what other people do to you. Care much more what I think. And he, he ramps it up a little bit more. Verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. In my apologetics class that is the second Tuesday of every month, um, the first month of the year, we tackled this, this idea of free will and predestination and all the arguments that go back and forth with that. We're continuing that discussion in February, but we're adding to that. So I've been kind of, I'm just immersing myself in the scriptures of, of this basic question. What must I do to be saved? Now that, that sounds simple and straightforward. But you'd be amazed by how many different scripture passages there are on the salvation experience, on what you must do to be saved. You can't take one verse out of context. You have to look at the whole of scripture and what it says. And one thing it is very clearly says multiple times is, it is those that speak in faith his name and tell others about him that will be saved. And it is those that deny him, deny him as savior, the work that he did on the cross, those are the ones that experience eternal death. So separate, separating the sheep and the goats is those that, that proclaim Jesus, identify, believe, have faith, share him, and those who deny, reject refuse to acknowledge him that's the dividing line and this says 34 he talks about this dividing line do not suppose that i have come to bring peace to the earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword for i have come to turn a man against his father a daughter against his, her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law a man's enemies will be the members of his own household wait 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 jesus is the prince of peace Peace on earth, goodwill to men. We love that. And that is true. This is, this is one of those crazy paradoxes where both things are true. He is the one. He is the author of peace. But sometimes peace cannot come without war. Sometimes peace cannot come without fighting because there is a real enemy out there who is actively seeking to destroy us, who is coming to destroy lives and destroy lives for all eternity. 
And so there is a spiritual battle going on and the sword is the word of God. It is the sword, it is the word of God that is truth, that brings life, that must come into a world that is broken and divided. And when you have people actively serving the world and Satan, and you have people actively trying to serve God, there is going to be conflict. There's going to be people that are at odds and turn against one another. And he says it's even going to happen in your own household. All right? If you come from a home that does not believe in Jesus and you give your heart radically to Jesus, there's going to be a disconnect between you and your family members. You can't have just such divergent worldviews and expect it all to work out fine. That is why he says so clearly, don't be unequally yoked because there's going to be division amongst your friends and your family and your spouse and your kids if you do not believe the same things about eternity, about God, about life. And others will hate you for convicting them of their own sin. They will hate you for that. And he's preparing us for this. And then he takes it a step further. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That is a hard statement. But that brings me to my next question. Who do you love more than God? Who do you love more than God? And none of us, I hope none of us would say, would start listing names, right? Like we would say we love God more. But what do our actions say? How do we live our lives? I could tell you, I, I've shared before my experience of just being called into full-time ministry at 19. Like God was very clear to me, um, came to me in the night, just spoke very clearly into my mind. And I, I'll be honest, I'm, I, he wanted me in full-time ministry and all I could think of, he's gonna send me out as a, a missionary. I, I don't wanna be a missionary to coach a bomba Bolivia, right? Like I don't wanna grow up and, and have kids raised on the mission field, like in Africa. And, I, and that was very selfish, but in my mind, he's gonna take me away in a culture way out of my comfort zone and I would have no control over anything. And I did not want that life. I loved my family. I loved my circle of friends. I loved being right here in Greenville, South Carolina. And I was scared of what he would do. And so I told God, I was like, well, what if, what if I'm just really good and serve in the local church? And let, how about that's just enough? He's like, okay. And he stopped talking to me for a long time, many years. And I did, I did the American dream. I got wife, house, one in 2.5 kids, you know, like just the whole thing, like work at a job that was respectable. And that, that, that I was ha that's what I wanted. But then God started working on my heart and drawing me to him and to serve him more. And I started doing more and started getting involved with more and more ministry work. And my heart was starting to long for that. And my, and my first wife was just, was more interested in the world. Like it was pulling me that way. And it was always that way. It was, it was you know, she kind of like testing the world and pulling it this way and God tests me this way. And I'm like, I just want to be comfortable in the middle. 
But God says to lukewarm, but he spits out of his mouth. He doesn't, he doesn't want lukewarm. And so when that marriage imploded and she went and, and found someone that would live that life with her and I was left wrecked and alone, then finally I was like, huh, God's way is better. And every year since I've realized that his way is better. The pl- we're scared of his plans, but we, what we don't realize is his plans are always better than our plans. Always. I could not have imagined myself as a pastor preaching in front of people. That made no sense to me. I had no context for that. I didn't see how I could get there. But he gave me the desires of my heart to be able to teach my favorite subject to be in the community that I love. He just wanted me to trust him. And frankly, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't have one hand on the world and one hand on Christ and expect to do anything great for his, his glory. He wants disciples who will leave all behind in comparison to him. This is what he's challenging us with. So let's, let's wrap up this chapter with a closing thought. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. This is very encouraging to me. You can be anywhere in the house of God, anywhere, any role, any position, If you do good for righteous people, you can receive a righteous person's reward. Think about a prophet. You honor and reach out and help a prophet, a missionary, a leader, you're getting their reward. You're helping someone in need that just, that is is dying of thirst or hunger and, or just homeless, whatever it might be. You reach out to what God cares about, the orphans and the widows, then you can receive a great righteous person's reward. Like he is so good to us. There's so many ways to serve. And so he's telling his disciples and he's telling the people that are gonna host his disciples. He's telling the young children that are listening in this crowd. He's like, if you even give a cup of cold water to someone who loves me or someone that I love, then that will have eternal consequences. You can earn treasure in heaven. So my closing question is this. Who are you giving a cold cup of water to? Who are you giving a cold cup of water to? As, you, as you've probably experienced the, the last several months, we've been very intentional about closing service with a time of reflection. That is purposeful, and that's not going away. We want to give you a chance to just sit and reflect or sometimes just stand and sing and glorify God. But we want you to take the words that we teach and the songs that we sing, and we want you to own it Grab hold of it, believe it. So I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to just sit and reflect in your seat for a few moments. And we're gonna sit here for a number of minutes. I wanna give you some time. And there's two questions I really want you to focus on. If you choose which one is the one that that God, the Holy, Holy Spirit is really pressing on your heart. But the first one, if this one's not right, this is probably the one you need to deal with first. And is, who do you love more than God? Who are you living for more than he? 
And if there is anything standing in your way to being a fully formed disciple that is just fully committed, I'm gonna ask you to spend time praying about that and ask God to give you the strength to, to change your priorities, to switch the order, to put God first in your life. So whatever is holding you back from just being fully devoted to him, ask him to help you to hand it over. And the other question is this, and this is something I hope that you'll think about throughout the week. Who can you give a cold cup of water to? It could be financial, but it could be your time. It could be an encouraging word that someone really needed to hear. If you ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, he will direct you to a person that needs to hear something, that needs an act of kindness, an act of service. And so I hope that we will be a church that is always thinking in these ways. So I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes to think what it is that God has put on your heart. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.